0: You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM, Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Katie Wood. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at one of the most polarizing angles of the fight thus far, the ever-changing route of the Mountain Valley Pipeline and the Atlantic Coast Pipeline through Virginia residents' backyards, and how being in the way of these pipelines has changed their daily lives. It's
1: made me a prisoner in my own home. When there's active surveying going on on the mountain, none of us will leave our property because you, you, don't, you don't want to risk them coming
2: onto your property. And that pipeline would, would change everything. It would destroy this community.
3: I told them, I will give them my offer right now. What is it? 5.5 billion. And if you'll take that, that's not enough. And they said, that'll never happen. So now we're all on the same page because you will never set foot on my property. This is home, you can't buy that.
0: That's Heidi Cochran. Heidi's an electrician and has been a Nelson County resident for most of her life. She raised her family in the small farmhouse where she now lives with her daughter and six noisy guard dogs. Sitting in the yard with Heidi, she describes the originally proposed path of the ACP running through the middle of her house, as well as the land where her children planned to build their own homes.
3: This line here was the proposed path first time I saw it the line went directly on my house.
0: As the highways narrow to roads on the way to Heidi's house, blue yard signs have cropped up like mushrooms along the side of the road. No pipeline, they read, just like the five-foot-high letters Heidi's painted on the side of her barn. But what exactly does no pipeline mean to the people who live here?
3: Solidarity, united from point A to point B, 600 miles. Everybody stayed united and you don't back down.
0: Needless to say, Heidi's not interested in bargaining. And when it comes to how she feels about the Atlantic coast pipeline, she doesn't mince words with anyone. At one of Dominion's early open houses in Nelson, Heidi confronted an ACP representative about the proposed route passing straight through her home.
3: And I said, that's my house. You know, well, we can move it. You know, okay, where? He hands me a marker and he says, where would you, you know, where would you like to put it? I said, you want me to tell you where you can put that pipeline? I don't think I should have asked you that. I said, no, you probably shouldn't have asked me that, but I can certainly tell you where you can put that pipeline. And then he says, well, draw a line. And I said, you want me to put it on my neighbor? Oh, see, I can't do that. Why would I move it to my neighbor? If it's not right for me, it's not right for my neighbor and not that the money you would give me or force me to take or send my way would ever compensate me, but they would never be compensated. So the value of their property goes down and they're put into the high impact kill zone.
0: Fears of explosion, leaks, or other accidents are major concerns for members of the opposition. Dominions tried to assuage these fears with plans for periodic inspections every seven years. These inspections would detect metal corrosion on the pipe, like the corrosion that caused a 2008 explosion to the Transco line in Appomattox. Five people were injured, two homes leveled, and 100 more were damaged.
3: They said, it's not, you know, a, high, it's not a kill zone, it's a high impact zone. So my family being 100 foot from it, how would they fare? So you want me to move it over there next to them? or you want me to keep it here on me, where it puts them in it, and they don't have any say in it. I don't agree with any of this.
0: That fall, surveyors showed up at Heidi's house to take the first steps toward construction. Heidi refused the surveyors' access, but when she said no, they didn't stop.
3: The neighbor caught them surveying on the hill, but he got them off. He said he looked out the door one time, and there were four men up in the corner of the field with hard hats on.
0: At the time these surveyors showed up on Heidi's property, there was no one home.
3: He said he looked down and saw them and he took his shotgun and he walked down there and he asked him, and he said, you know, what are you all doing? They said, surveying. He said, I know Heidi told you, you couldn't survey your shot, you know, to her property. He said he shucked his shotgun and Do he said over the fence that they were there. That they knew, knew that
0: there was no one here I, they they were, they like, I here. I think they knew
3: I wasn't here. I think they knew I wasn't here.
0: ACP realized that they couldn't persuade Heidi to give them permission, and they couldn't sneak onto her property. They escalated by suing her, along with other Nelson residents who had refused surveyor access. They
3: began suing people in Nelson County on Christmas Eve. So I would keep my gate shut, you know, thinking that maybe that would do it, you know, that they won't come and deliver that paper to me. And on a Friday night, it's been about eight o'clock, it was windy and cold, there was a knock on the door and it was January, and they brought me my papers that I was being sued by by Atlantic Coast Pipeline, but Dominion had done all the letters.
0: As we touched on in episode one, Dominion and Atlantic Coast Pipeline are two separate entities.
3: Dominion sent all the letters out, Atlantic Coast Pipeline sued. Atlantic Coast Pipeline never sent one letter, so that's what he presented in the Suffolk court case. So as soon as he won that case, on that technicality, it didn't matter anything else. Chuck called me, he was still in the courtroom, and I was actually working at another job. And he called me and he said, we won.
0: Chuck Lawler is an attorney who represented Heidi and other landowners. He successfully argued in court that the ACP couldn't sue residents because they never sent any letters to begin with. It was a small stumbling block for the pipeline and a victory for the opposition. ACP lost months when they were forced to restart the process of requesting permission to survey.
3: So Atlantic Coast Pipeline then sent all the letters out to me. And then before they got to suing me, they switched the pipeline.
0: In spring of 2015, ACP announced a new route that would no longer cross Heidi's property. But that didn't mean that Heidi would give up on her neighbors, who were newly affected by the route change. From the beginning, Heidi had maintained that putting the pipeline on someone else was no good either.
3: Moving off of me only moved it on to somebody else. And I understand what that feels like. This is home. I think this is a beautiful track of land. That land's no more important to me than somebody else's home to them. If somebody's up in the woods or if somebody's living in the city, that's their home. That's where they find their peace. This is my peace here. This is where my children's home is. This is where I've made my life.
4: It was probably the fall of 2014 when I started to understand what was going on and at that point the pipeline was planned north of here.
0: When the pipeline was rerouted off of Heidi's land, it was moved on to Richard Averett's property. The new route of the ACP would cross Rick's property in two places. Once near his house and again right through the middle of a plot he has been planning to develop into a family-owned eco-resort. We spoke with Rick in his home in Nellie's Ford, about 15 miles south of where Heidi lives in Afton. Rick built the house for his family to share for generations. There's a lot of light and big windows, and a gentle breeze stirs the wind chimes while his wife, Jill, does dishes.
4: I'm an example of what's part of what's hard about this. I mean, people in our county have been fighting it already for seven, eight months, before I even knew about it, really, right?
0: But why had the route been moved? Was it a response to protests and resistance from Afton? The new proposed route would cross right across the entrance of Wintergreen Ski Resort. Landowners naturally found themselves asking, why would Dominion choose to route an increasingly controversial pipeline through such a prominent place?
4: Like, surely that's a joke, right? Like, why would you do that? It's the, it's the single most valuable property asset in the county. It's got lots of people. They've got lots of influence. So we all assumed in the beginning that this alternative route was really a dodge to, to show how much better the other route was.
0: But it wasn't a dodge, at least not the kind that Richard was thinking of. Richard explained that the reroute had nothing to do with the protests it was Dominion's way of avoiding congressional approval, which they'd need to cross the national parks surrounding Wintergreen.
4: But Dominion specifically is trying to avoid that. And it turns out there's a tiny piece of land right up here at the top of Beech Grove Road, which is, which is the Wintergreen Road up to the Blue Ridge Parkway, um, where national park land and U.S. Forest Service land don't meet. And so it's this little gap. And by going through that gap, in the lands, they don't have to go to Congress to get approval for this. The whole reason for this route is that issue.
0: After the reroute was announced, Heidi wanted to talk to Richard about everything she'd learned about the pipeline.
3: Because he was involved in co-location, which I first thought was the way to go.
0: Co-location is a strategy for building the pipeline using existing right-of-ways along highways or utility corridors places that have already been clear-cut or developed for utilities. In theory, co-location would be minimally disruptive for landowners, who wouldn't have to give up their land, and for the pipeline company, who'd be able to have their pipeline constructed without a hassle.
3: Right, you know, okay, we co-locate. You go down existing right-of-ways, but then I found out about fracking, and then I'm thinking about co-locating, and I'm going, it's still going to cross somebody's property, somewhere. It's going to impact somebody.
0: As a strategy, co-location has caused some division in the community. If you come
4: to this from the perspective that it's going to get built and it's going to get built more or less in this area, then fighting them about not building it on your land. People will argue that's saying not in my backyard, put it on somebody else's land. And we've had huge issues in our community about that. Friends of Wintergreen and I split over that. Friends of Wintergreen split with all the community over that issue because they took in a position from the very beginning that the pipeline would be built It was just a matter of where. And so they were gonna spend all their effort suggesting or pointing out all the reasons why going by the front of Wintergreen is a really bad idea. And they're right, like they're all right about that. But they did the thing that they shouldn't have done, which is they proposed alternate routes, which went through other people's land. You should never tell your neighbors that they should put it through their land instead.
0: We walked with Rick down to Spruce Creek, which would be crossed by the proposed ACP. Rick described the publication Friends of Wintergreen released with his name on it, suggesting alternate routes that ran through other residents' properties.
4: I didn't make sure that didn't happen. I never saw it till it was published. And there was a huge backlash. And Heidi approached me. So I went down to Richard
3: Averitt and I talked to him and I said, you know, when you move this pipeline and you do co-location and you move it off of me or off of you, you're putting it on somebody else.
4: And she said something that really struck me. She said, hey, remember, co-location doesn't mean it's not hurting somebody else either. And it hit me all of a sudden.
0: Weeks later, Heidi was relieved when Rick approached her with a new perspective at an open house gathering in Nelson. He came over and he said, I was looking for you. And I said, oh, okay, good. And he said, I just want to tell you, open my eyes.
4: And I said, well, good. It's funny now when I see Heidi, we hug, you know, but it's been hard on the community for exactly those reasons.
0: Both Rick and Heidi recognize the threat of the pipelines extends beyond any individual's property line. But for some folks, the threat of a pipeline is as real and as close as their own backyard.
5: If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line on WRAR 97.3. Find the full episode on SoundCloud.com slash Pipeline Podcast. I'm Whitney Whiting. In the tiny Four Corners region of Bent Mountain, Mert Reef's porch has become a hub for community gatherings, both for strategizing and for keeping watch against land surveyors.
1: Because we sit out here all the time. So it's like, I can tell you when somebody drives down there that doesn't belong over here, I know it.
5: From her porch one afternoon in March of 2017, she looked out over her front field to describe where the Mountain Valley pipeline intends to run through her property.
1: It's gonna come right down through these, these woods. I mean, literally five feet into those woods. So those woods will be gone. That's all wetlands over there. I mean, it's, it's so wet and so dense and you have to wear boots to walk over there. Um, and I just can't believe they disrupt the wetlands.
5: Since receiving the first letters about MVP's intention to survey their land, Mert and her Bent Mountain neighbors have consistently resisted surveying as much as possible, despite the 2004 law that gives natural gas companies the right to enter property. They've kept tight watch over each other's homes and driveways, even up to the most recent surveying in May of 2017.
1: When they're around here, I always put my car, I always park my car at the end of the driveway so they can't drive up here. So I make them walk all the way up here to ask me if they can come on and always say no, walk all the way back out, get in your car and go away. But, but I'd, say, I'd say pretty much everybody in the community has said no, we don't want you.
5: Bruce and Mary Beth Coffey are close neighbors with Mert. They live right behind her property and would also be severely impacted by the MVP.
6: It's gonna crisscross our property. It's gonna
5: bisect our property. Um, it's
2: about 150 yards out our front door
5: the pipeline would bisect their three acres, making it virtually unusable. They've been offered an easement price from MVP, which, much like their fellow neighbors, they say they refuse to respond to.
6: As a community, Bent Mountain is, if I'm not mistaken, 100% supportive of not letting the pipeline come through. There's not a landowner up here who has signed any documentation as far as allowing them to come on.
5: Bent Mountain is actually made up of portions of four different counties, the majority being Roanoke, but Franklin County, Montgomery, and Floyd also make up its footprint. Bruce and Mary Beth first moved there in 1985, after a severe flood in the lower Roanoke Valley took their house off its foundations. On top of Bent Mountain, they say they finally found higher ground. Mary Beth recalls her first impressions of the area as a child. I mean, I can remember being sick one day when I was
2: in elementary school and my father had a job somewhere in Floyd and I rode up the mountain with him, but mountain was only two lanes coming up the mountain. And we got to the top of the mountain and we just kept going. You know, we didn't go back down a mountain like when we would go visit our relatives in West Virginia, we would go up a mountain and then right back down the other side. And I remember saying to my dad, I said, this is so weird. And he said, this is a mountain plateau.
6: Benton mountain is a very rural area. We're on the mountain top, starting at the elevation around 2,500, going up to 4,000 feet. People move up here to be away from, you know, having that infrastructure that you find in in the metropolitan areas.
2: And I always to- told Bruce, I said, "Gosh, I never dreamed that I would be living up here in this fantastic place. It's a it's, a, it's a, an escape from work. You you get off from work in the valley, you come up here, and it's like." Um, And that pipeline would would change everything. It would destroy this community. We denied access from the get go. We said no. But that didn't stop them.
1: It's made me a prisoner in my own home. When there's active surveying going on on the mountain, none of us will leave our property because you, you, don't, you don't want to risk them coming onto your property, because they know when you're gone. I don't know how they know, but they know.
5: But according to Mary Beth, the constant threat of surveyors trespassing on their homes has united this tiny community.
2: If there is a plus to all of this, that is the plus, that it has brought us together. We just sit and we watch and we talk, and we've learned a lot about each other. So that's been a plus to all this if you can find something.
5: Like those facing surveyor trespass along the ACP, Bent Mountain residents have come to each other's aid, recognizing that trust in each other and strength in numbers works to their benefit. While neighbors are at work during the day or away on vacation for the summer, they keep a constant lookout for surveyors, calling on each other in order to keep their community safe from trespass and in the hope of buying more time.
1: but The ram trucks are the dead giveaway. So when you see a ram truck with out-of-state license tag, you know the surveyors are up here. And so then you follow them to find out where they are, and then you notify the landowner. I don't know how they do it, but they're very good at finding out when somebody's not going to be home. They're excellent at that. And they decided to use my property to get access to my neighbor's property behind my house. and. I wasn't here and I got a phone call from my neighbor that lives beside me and says, Mert, there are people, there's a whole group of people walking on your property. Do they have permission? I said, no. And so he and his brother and some other people came over here and ran them off my property and got into a huge verbal altercation with them.
5: Yeah, I was going to ask, do those situations ever get tense?
1: Sometimes but not really because nobody is, I mean, the MVP people have to be somewhat civil to you. They they get nasty. Now they can, they can, they're the ones who get nasty with telling you what you can and can't do. The people who live up here just say, no, you know, I'm not gonna let you through here. You know, run me over, then I'll have a story.
2: One day, I'll tell you this story, I was in the woods of my neighbor's property. This is the neighbor that I called from school. And so I just followed the surveyors in and um, I was pretty far into the woods with the surveyors and the land agents, it's interesting, the land agents will not come on the property actually, they just stay on the edge, stay on the road. And I heard this one land agent out there, Miss Coffee, are you all right? I heard you screaming. I had not screamed, I had not made a sound. I just ignored him and I went over to the surveyors and I said, did you hear me screaming? And they said, no. And one of the surveyors said, well, if I had, I would have come to your help, to your assistance. The land agent never came on the property and he had gone on, Mert's. he had gone on to her property to to yell into the woods after me. and, and, um, And I heard Mert yell at him, get off my property. So he, I mean, he was baiting her by coming in on her property to yell to see if I was okay. And I came out and I said, um, I said, you were baiting Mert, I know you were. And he said, oh, I missed you this winter, Miss Coffee."
1: We've, we've done our best to, we haven't, we haven't been nasty to them, although they've been nasty to us. Um, but we've tried our best to delay, 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 delay. They finally completed surveying, but that was after they took me to court, and I let them come on. It was an agreement to let them come on, and that was for one survey only, and I had to be here and observe them the whole time. They had to set the date, and they had to be here on that date, and there was no other time they could come. They haven't come on since then, but I expect them to, because that was just one survey and I, I imagine they'll be back on for other surveys.
5: Mert was right. Just a few weeks after this interview, MVP survey crews were back on Bent Mountain, and neighbors were in the news again, heading off surveyors just like before. So why would landowners put so much energy into resisting surveying if they know that the law is not on their side? Joanna Salitis, co-founder of Friends of Nelson, says that it's because in fights like this, time is valuable for the opposition.
6: When you start a journey like this, you can't see the end. So you you don't know, by delaying we're opening up the world of possibilities. It's not that we don't have excellent points to make. It's not that we can't show how dangerous or unnecessary the project is. We can and we do, and that's part of what ends up being delaying, but they can always come up with an answer to anything we say because that's how the law is structured.
5: She pointed out that as the pipeline companies move through the application process, the many errors they've made along the way have worked in landowners' favor.
6: Things like where they would only send one notice or they sent the second notice the wrong number of days after the first notice. Um, They also sent notices many times to the wrong people
5: Things like that. All of these tiny things have bought valuable time for the opposition. And ultimately, she says the reason delay is such a crucial strategy is because the process is set up to leave citizens with so few options.
1: It's expensive to build this pipeline. My god, they've spent millions just in trying to get a survey of my property. I mean, I'll guarantee it's costed them a lot of money. Um, Hopefully it's starting to be painful for them.
3: This pipeline would already be in the ground, you know, if they had just been able to come through like they originally wanted to. It would already be under construction and be coming in. But so you throw in the delays and then that gives you time to get your, basically your ammunition lined up Is to, here's another fact. These are another supporting why this is not beneficial.
1: I've always considered myself to be an extremely rational human being. And I was a researcher, so I researched things, but the key is, you know, this isn't good for the for the county, it's not good for the community, it's not good for Virginia.
3: If this benefited like my neighbors or or people that need this, that, that would be different. If it was a legitimate public utility that somebody needed this, that this benefited somebody's life. But to think
4: that this is for profit. I get that it's hard and I get that our odds are slim, right? But if you think it's so unjust, how do you say, There's nothing we can do. It is so unjust and there's nothing we can do. Well, true, right? If you don't do anything, it ain't gonna change.
6: Not like there's some government watchdog who's going to take care of these things for you. It's the people that have to do it. And you you need time to educate people to use the tools that we do have.
5: One thing that some members of the opposition have been doing is the burn your easement challenge. It's exactly what the name implies. Landowners are taking the company's official letters offering a fixed compensation for their land and burning them. This
4: is an easement agreement from Dominion Resources, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. Uh, And we're not signing it. Matter of fact, we're burning the thing.
5: Somehow I feel here. Oh, it's lovely. It's lovely. Yeah. So what's next for the pipeline opposition? That has yet to be determined. Not only does Virginia law allow natural gas companies to trespass on private land without consent, but if FERC grants permits, pipeline companies would be allowed to take that land through eminent domain. Whether or not they take the land will be determined in the summer of 2017 when state agencies and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission decide whether to grant permits for the pipelines. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. This episode produced by Katie Wood and Whitney Whiting with support from Matthew Conover and Aaron Bish. Special thanks to Heidi and Emily Cochran, Richard and Jill Averett, Mert Reeves, Mary Beth and Bruce Coffey, and Bill and Lynn Limpert. Thanks to WRAR, music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. To learn more about Eminent Domain and catch up on all episodes from End of the Line, go to soundcloud.com slash pipeline podcast. In the next episode of End of the Line.
2: You know, when you look at things and you don't know the history, it's easy to to say, well, you know, we can take this risk here and there and, and, and not realize the real people and the real lives and the real history that those things represent.
0: Dominion, they could have
3: approached uh, our community much differently. Uh, they approached
2: us as though we didn't even
6: exist. When it comes to oppressing lives, regardless who it is, it's wrong. He going to tear up the earth, mountains, rivers to run those pipelines for the sake of a dollar, not as something that really needed. Just for the sake of some, make some more money.